Well, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, you had Ryan Noble and Chase Sims last week, and now I'm sorry. So it's, you're stuck. <laughs> oh, my bad. All right, so um, tonight we're going to be in Matthew 14, 22 through 33. Um, but a little bit before we get there, um, I'm, I love summer. Um, I don't love the heat, but I love summer because I'm a sports fanatic. I love baseball. Um, this is a fun time in baseball, the trading deadline in the next couple of days, so lots of changes happening. I love football, all levels of football. I don't care if it's youth football all the way up to NFL. So this week you have NFL training camps are, are opening, college football is starting, high school football is starting up in the next couple of weeks. And so I just love everything about football. And in training camp, um, and this is what our oldest has, has been doing a lot of all-season conditioning going into his last year of middle school football, which is a much bigger deal now than it was when I was in eighth grade, but it's like year-round for them too. But um, we've been talking a lot about um, the rigorous workouts are going through. Um, it's an intense schedule. The different meetings are going through because it's during this time, the training camp time, that defines a team. It's, that's, the coaches are trying to see who can handle adversity, who can handle a difficult situation. They're trying to build the team. And so they're putting them in these positions to, to do one of two things, to correct something that's wrong. You have a player or a team that's doing something against what the coaches want. They're trying to correct their technique, or they're trying to take what they're doing and perfect it. And so we as followers of Christ, we go through two types of storms as well. Storms of correction and storms of perfection. One of a correction example is, is uh, the story of Jonah. If you've been around the church any amount of time, you've heard the story of Jonah. Jonah. God told Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach the gospel. Jonah ran as far as he could the opposite direction, ran away from God. Got on the ship, literally was in a storm, thrown overboard, I'm paraphrasing, to get through it swallowed three days in the belly of a fish and then cried out to God, repented. The fish spits him out. He goes to Nineveh, preaches the gospel. And um, that was a storm of correction. He ran from God. God put him in a storm, the belly of a fish for three days to bring him back. Tonight, we're going to look at a storm of perfection, specifically with the disciples, how Jesus sent them into a storm to perfect them, to grow them. Um, just some context before we get to verse 22. The very first part of Matthew 14, Jesus had just learned um, of the death of John the Baptist. So he was trying to get alone to pray, to deal with that death. But everywhere Jesus went, crowds followed him. Always large crowds followed him. And at this point, the disciples are trying to tell Jesus, hey, we can get the crowd to leave. We can, we can send them away. But Jesus, doing what Jesus always did, said no. He, he spent time teaching them, healing them. He spent time just doing what he always did. And the disciples are still sitting there going, Jesus, we, you're trying to get alone. And then after that long day, Jesus is telling the disciples, these people need something to eat. I'm like, we don't have anything. We can ask them to leave. No. Well, there's five loaves and two fish. And Jesus says, bring it to me. And I can only imagine what the disciples were thinking. You know, thousands of people, five loaves, two fish. You know, we have a family of five, and that wouldn't go very far. So um, thousands of people. 
Well, Jesus took it, blessed it, and we know the story. Fed the 5,000 and there's leftovers. So again, he's trying to teach the disciples a lesson. So I'm going to read, uh, now we're going to pick up in verse 22. And we'll read Matthew 14, 22 through 33. And then we'll kind of go through it kind of piece by piece and answer some questions and see what we can, can glean from it. Immediately, he, Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him saying, Oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased and those in the boat worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. So the first couple of verses, we see Jesus sends him over, tells him to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. He's going to try to again Get alone to pray. It's, it's in the middle of the night. So Jesus is going to go pray. But why did he send the disciples away? John's account of the same story, chapter 6, 14 and 15, answers that question. He says, when, uh, when the people saw the sign that, that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force and make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So the crowd, seeing what all Jesus has done, thinking he is the prophet, and they want to make him king. So Jesus, it is believed, sent the disciples away. Go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, because in some commentaries say that perhaps he didn't think they were mature enough to handle what the crowd wanted to do. That they would that the, the, that the disciples would go along with the crowd in crowning Jesus king at that point. So he sent them to the other side of the sea just to get them away from that situation that he could go and pray. However, although that is one take is that perhaps they would go along with that, I think we also can see that they did trust Jesus enough to follow him and be obedient. He said, go to the other sea. They went and got in the boat, other side of the Sea of Galilee. They got in their boat and they went, went their way. Next two verses, 24 and 25, it says, The boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves. The wind was against them as a fourth watch of the night. The storm was bad. Lots of waves. The wind was against them. This was the days before the big motors on boats. So they're going against the wind. Huge waves. Um, it's in the middle of the night. The fourth watch is between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So picture being out. In the middle of the Gulf, or the middle of the Atlantic, huge waves going against the wind at between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. Um, if you were here um, Father's Day weekend when I shared a little bit about 
Uh, my dad, and I, I talked a lot about his love for fishing and my memories with him and fishing. I remember a few times being out in a boat fishing um, and getting caught in a storm. It was not fun. And we had life jackets. We had really good boat. We had two-way radios, and it was still very scary. And it was not between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. It was daylight. So this is 6 between 3 and 6, um, and just not a good situation. Moving along to 26 and 27, it says, But then the disciples saw him. Jesus began walking toward them, and they were terrified. They thought it was a ghost. They cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus said, take heart, it is I, don't be afraid. So again, the disciples are, are scared. Not only are they a far away from shore, it's in the middle of the night, and the waves are huge. Now, they see somebody walking on the water. You know, I'm thinking that um, that's kind of a crazy thought as well. You know, could you really think that in the, everything that's going on, that now we're going to see somebody walking toward us on the water? Really? But, what, but Jesus says, take heart. It is I. Don't be afraid. Three phrases right there to comfort them. Take heart. Or the NIV. I love the NIV's translation. Take courage. The word courage means, can be defined as the ability to face difficulty without fear. So Jesus says, take courage. You're in this storm. Face it with no fear. I'm, I'm, I'm giving you the ability to face the storm without fear. The second phrase he says here is, it is I. He's reminding them that Jesus, he's the great I am. It is me. There's no need to be afraid. I got you. I'm right here. And then the last one was uh, pretty clear. Don't be afraid. Um, so he's telling them, hey, you know, have faith. Have trust in me. There's no, there's no reason to be afraid. Um, that's easy. You know, my first thought is that's easy for him to say. If you're in a tough situation, um, you know, I know if you have a friend or family member going through a very difficult situation, the worst thing you can say is uh, it's going to be okay or don't worry or, you know, I know what you're going through. Well, really, we don't. And for them, it may not. Gonna, it, they don't feel like it's gonna, that they're going to be okay. They're feeling alone. But you know what? Jesus is there. You know, Jesus is saying to us, take courage. Face this difficulty without fear. I'm here. Um, I know for me, um, you go through a difficult situation, you do feel alone. I was thinking through um, just a couple of situations. I worked for Countrywide Financial in 05 to 08, the height of the mortgage industry to um, when things were not so good. Um, and I remember 2005, 2006 was great. 2007, things started to get a little rocky. Um, and for us, Bank of America came in and bought the company. And then it seemed like every Tuesday for about a year, um, there were layoffs. And we started joking with the VP of Employee Relations. He wore black pants and black shirt every Tuesday for about six months and never realized what he was doing. And he was the one doing a lot of the layoffs where finally, hey, dude, you've got to stop. You know, wear some red one day. Wear pink. You know, don't wear black. But I can remember um, after a few months of that, every Tuesday I would wake up and I really didn't want to get up and go to work. You, you feel alone because you don't know if you're going to come home and tell your wife and 
three very young kids at the time that I don't have a job. I don't know what we're going to do. So that was a time I felt very alone. And, you know, people would try to encourage me, but, you know, there's not a lot of encouragement at times. You know, when people say, oh, it's going to be okay. I had a couple of people say that and really, whatever. You know, you lose your job, you know. <laughs> I'll take your job and you go home and tell your wife you lost your job and tell me how that works out. Um, another time I shared a lot about Father's Day weekend, sitting next to my dad's bedside, you know, and seeing him fade away. I mean, you feel alone and people would try to comfort you. But it was, it took a couple weeks of going through that to really realize, you know what? Jesus is here. You know, that's all we need. We don't need anything else. So it doesn't matter how big the waves are around us. Jesus is here. Jesus is with us. So no matter what storm you're going through, it doesn't matter because he's the reason we can make it through. Verse 28 and 29. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water and came to Jesus. So now Peter starts really believing it is Jesus. And so um, I think it's okay here to assume that Peter thought, you know what, Jesus, if you can walk on the water, you're going to give me the power to do the same thing. You know, so why not say, hey, Jesus, if that's really you walking on water, I've never seen anybody do that before, tell me to come out there with you. And so what's Jesus say? Come. So Peter gets out of the boat. But it's interesting, um, in the Greek, the original Greek text in verse 28, where it says, Lord, if it is you, it's really since it is you. So there Jesus is saying, I mean, Peter is saying, Jesus, since it is you, not if, since it is you, tell me to come out there. So Peter is acknowledging at this point, it is Jesus walking on the water. So Peter crawls out of the boat and was, and was obedient, started walking on the water. Um, I think what we can take out of this couple of verses is it's very important that we have a very close relationship with Jesus. We have to know Jesus. We have to know, we need to be able to hear Jesus, see Jesus. So when we're going through a very difficult time, we need to be able to recognize Jesus because there's a lot of people out there, especially when we're going through a difficult time, we may be searching for answers that are saying things in this ear and this ear. They're sending you this. They're wanting you to read this, watch this YouTube video, and it may not be truth. We need to be able to recognize Jesus especially in a difficult situation. Because there's a lot of people out there that think they have the right answers. And it may sound good. It may sound, yeah, you know what? That person could be onto something. But if you dig a little deeper, it's off. We need to look to nothing and no one but Jesus. And so, um, again, I mean, they thought it was a ghost at first. But then because Peter recognized because Peter was so close to Jesus... If you look at, Peter was always near Jesus and everything they did. I mean, Peter had some faults. He went away from Jesus a couple times. But in all in all, of all of the disciples, Peter was always very close to Jesus. He could recognize Jesus. He could hear his voice and know. He was confident that it really was Jesus. So I think for us, um, when we're facing storms, it's not until we truly have a close relationship to Jesus that we can really get through those storms. So I'm going to ask you, you know, think about how's your relationship with Jesus? 
Are you walking closely with him? You know, um, when you're going through a storm, do you recognize Jesus? Or do you, not sure. Um, so just, uh, I just challenge you to look at your own relationship with Jesus because we'll talk about this here in a little bit, but it's not um, if you're going to go through a difficult situation, it's when. You know, everybody in here has been through a difficult situation and we're going to go through some more. So we, your relationship with Jesus needs to be very close and intimate so we can weather those storms. Verse 30, when Peter saw the wind, he was afraid. He began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? So Peter starts walking on the water. He began to see the waves. He gets close to Jesus, starts looking around, takes his eyes off Jesus. Oh, these waves are huge. This wind is bad. He starts to sink. He started to look at the situation of walking on the water, following Jesus through his his physical eyes and not his spiritual eyes. He started just looking at the distractions around him, the size of the waves, um, the force of the wind. But then when he begins to sink, he cries out, Lord, save me. And Jesus, hearing that, reaches out his hand, pulls him in closer, pulls him back. And there's nothing more that Jesus likes to hear than, save me. Whether it's God loves to hear, save me. Whether it's someone crying out for the first time for salvation, God, save me. Or if it's you or me in the middle of a storm and we have taken our eyes off Jesus and we cry out, God, save me. He's right there reaching out his hand to pull us back. And then Jesus says, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? He mentions Peter's little faith and question a little bit about doubt. I don't, I don't think he's saying that Peter had no faith. I think he's questioning um, Peter and reminding him that, you know what, Peter? You allowed your doubt to, to, to become bigger than your faith. And a lot of times that's easy. You're going through a difficult situation. You kind of take your eyes off Jesus. You start seeing the size of the waves. And then we start doubting. How am I going to get through this? God, why me? Why am I going through this difficult situation? Why am I sinking? And Jesus is saying, don't let your doubt become bigger than your faith. But a lot of times we let our doubts talk a little bit louder to us. It goes back to that close relationship with Jesus and um, learning um, from Peter that um, even when we do take our eyes off Jesus, that we, we remember um, to cry out to him. You know, and, and, and Jesus wants us to be obedient, just like Peter did. But I've heard several sermons on this text, and people like to focus on the fact that Peter took his eyes off Jesus. You know, that seems to be a common theme. Let's pick on Peter. He denied Jesus three times before he was crucified. Let's pick on Peter here. You know, he thought he was a hot shot and walked on water, and he sank. And, you know, I've heard preachers preach about that. But I would say... Let's look at the other 11 guys who sat in the boat. Peter was obedient. Jesus said, come. Peter got out and at least walked on the water. He may have taken his eyes off of him and sunk, but he was obedient. So I think there's a lot we can learn from Peter in this situation. Um, And again, I'll say, I know for me, you know, I'm one that likes to rely on my own strength a lot of times um, in a difficult situation. 
Um, I think a lot of us um, think that we can, when, when hard times come, we can fix it. You know, I know when things at home, my wife may mention something, and my first reaction is, in my mind, I'm thinking, how can I fix it? Well, our personal strength a lot of times is, um, is a weakness. You know, we, we try to, at least for me, you want to you wanna use your strength to fix everything. Small things to big things. But really, what we can learn out of this is that it's when we start trying to rely on our personal strength, it's when we sink. So we need to remember that our, our own strength is really a weakness, that our, our only real strength is in Jesus and eyes on, on Him and crying out to Him to save us, to save us, that we always keep our eyes on Jesus. The last two verses, and when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. So once Jesus and Peter got back in the boat, the text tells us right there, the wind stopped, and the storm was calm. So to me, this is where those last two verses is where it becomes very obvious that this was a test for the disciples to perfect them, to grow them, because as soon as Jesus crawled in the boat with them, everything was fine. Wind was calm, no waves. Once they re- recognized he was there um, and, and understood what he was trying to do, um, and they understood his power and, and the authority of Jesus in their lives, the storm was calm. Just like the storms you and I go through. Like I said, you're going to go through various storms in life um, to perfect us, to grow us, to strengthen our faith. And when we rely on Jesus to get through that storm, storm ceases. The wind is calm. Um, the storms may last for minutes to, to years, but the, the lesson is still the same. So when Jesus got back in the boat and everything was calm, like I said, that test, that lesson was over. And they were remind, and this was just a reminder to them, and we can be reminded that Jesus is always, always in control. doesn't matter the size of a wave, the strength of a wind, um, how much money's in the bank account. It doesn't matter. Jesus is always in control. And that is easy for me to say that. Do I always live my life every day truly believing that? I, I mean, I struggle with that. I mean, again, personal, we always want to rely on our personal strength. But it's in those times that we need to remember um, Jesus' words earlier to them, take courage. You can get through this. You have the ability to get through this storm without fear. I'm here. It is I. Don't be afraid. And then they worshiped him and they continued on their journey. Um, Like I said a few minutes ago, everyone in here is coming out of a storm. You may be in a storm or you're headed to one. Um, So, The first takeaway application to this is we need to know that there will be storms in life. It doesn't matter who you are, how long you've been a believer. One day, 50 years, you will face a storm. And I'm reminded of James 1, 2, and 3. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So, James says, count it all joy 
when you go through these storms? Well, that's another one of those easier said than done, right? You know, you're going through a tough situation. You know, it's not always joyful, but it's just a reminder there that doesn't say count it all joy if you meet a trial. It says when. So the Bible's very clear. You will go through a trial. Um, and so when we're talking to people about our faith, um, you know, a lot of people I know have, have accepted Christ and then thinking, you know what, I've accepted Jesus, I'm good. I'm, my life is going to be great. You know, I'm not going to have any more trouble. The Bible says, you're right, John, that's exactly when it starts. The Bible says, when you meet trials and in the testing of your faith. So he says, we're going to have tests, but it produces steadfastness. Again, I looked at it, that word steadfastness, a big word. I looked it up in the dictionary, found a couple definitions. I thought it fit this perfectly. First definition, fixed in direction, steadily directed. So I wrote the word correction by it. A storm of correction produces steadfastness. It, fixed, it will fix our direction, gets us pointed in the right direction. Another definition was firm in purpose, resolution, unwavering, firmly established. So these storms... These trials we go through, they help us get firmly established in our faith. Perfection. It perfects us. So, number one, know that you'll go through a storm. Number two, be obedient. Look at Peter. Peter was obedient. Jesus said, come. Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water. So, you and I, we need to be obedient. When Jesus says, get out of that boat, we need to, don't worry about what the circumstances are around. Get out of the boat and follow Jesus. Be obedient. Number three, keep your eyes on Jesus. Again, uh, the size of the waves. Peter, we can learn from Peter. He took his eyes off Jesus, began to sink. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus at all times. And the last thing um, is do not fear. I know we talked, Chase, if you're here last week, talked a lot about that, um, about Jesus is near. There's no need to fear because we had, Jesus is near. A lot of times we think that, um, we're, we pray to God that it takes a long time for him to hear those prayers, that God is far away. The Bible says over and over and over that God is near. So don't fear because he is. He's very close. Just remember, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. So I hope through this quick um, lesson through um, this text of of the test of the disciples that we can all take away um, the fact that when we face trials that we're going to be obedient, we're going to keep our eyes on Jesus. But how do we do that? It goes back to um, one of the earlier things I said is, is how's your relationship with God? How, how are you doing? Are you walking closely with Jesus? Because when you face those trials, the only way you're going to get through it is having a close relationship with Jesus because if you don't, you're not going to be able to recognize Him. Um, and in closing, um, if there's somebody here tonight, and I think there, uh, there's many of us that in the middle of a storm and possibly distracted by the waves. There's stuff going on in, at home, at work, and there's, the waves are huge. And we're distracted by that. And we're trying to get through it on our own. Tonight, don't leave here without turning to Jesus and saying, God, save me. There's no greater cry. There's nothing that God loves more than to hear people say, God, save me. Amen? Amen. And when we do that, he extends his hand 
and pulls us in closely. Let me close us in prayer. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this example tonight from Jesus and the disciples of the reminder that you're always near. And God, I just pray for each one of us tonight that as we face trials, that we would remember um, that it doesn't matter the size of the trial, um, what's going on, that you're near us and we need to keep our eyes on you to get through this storm. And God, I pray for anybody in this room tonight that could be going through a tough situation, a family situation, um, financial, health, whatever the situation may be, God, that they would turn to you and not focus on that situation, but focus on you and cry out to you, God, save me. God, I pray that would be true of each one of us. And I pray that each one of us leaves here tonight having a greater desire, a greater passion to walk closely with you, that our relationship with you would grow deeper tonight, that we wouldn't leave here without um, that intimacy, desiring that intimacy with you. So when we face those trials, God, that we know you, we can see you, we can hear your voice. God, um, just be with us now as we all go our separate ways and bring us back again next week. All this we pray in your name. Amen.